You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. We discovered the campaigns in 2017 in its final form. That's Lamore Kessum, an executive security advisor with IBM Security. She returns to Research Saturday to describe Iced ID, a banking trojan that she and the IBM X-Force research team have been tracking. We actually knew there was module development underway as early as June 2017, and some stuff was added in July. And, Hmm. you know, a lot of times we kind of wait to see, okay, what is this thing? What is it going to be? And are we going to see it in activity? So we just follow it and uh, check when it goes uh, into live mode. So I guess we could start with the overall picture of financial cybercrime. Just a few words about, you know, the criminals nowadays manage to carry out very high sum fraudulent transactions using mm. these banking trojans like Iced ID and other and other similar codes. Um, and losses from these types of financial cybercrime is are estimated at hundreds of billions of dollars a year. They affect the financial industry, but they also target any other service that carries that kind of value, like monetary value. So online payments, uh, anything like loyalty cards and cryptocurrency has been also one of their favorites lately. 
if we look at the overall picture of of these types of trojans if i look at the decade of specializing in this domain i can tell you that while it has been an ongoing escalation over the years we have been seeing a shift started uh 2014 where these trojans have become very much the business of organized crime so that means that when we find new malware like this, it's most often part of a business-like organization, and it's part of a bigger picture for cybercrime. So aside from the code that is very modular and sophisticated, we're going to talk about it in a minute, mm-hmm. it's part of an overall operation, which includes uh, different internal teams that do operational security, they do online theft and social engineering, they have money movers, they have collaborators, both in other crime groups and People, they bribe insiders in banks sometimes who launder and mobilize the stolen funds for them. So if you're thinking, okay, what kind of amounts do these people manage to move per transaction? They can move millions of dollars at a time, tens of millions sometimes. It's it's very, uh, it varies by the group, but this is definitely not people who are in it for a small change and, you know, smaller transaction. And this arena has few long-standing players with some moving parts. I call them moving parts, which are groups that come and go. And in today's security and law enforcement landscape, it cannot be taken for granted that a group like that will actually survive. Uh, Seeing new groups in the cybercrime arena is always considered an event that attracts a lot of attention because everybody knows it will inevitably affect the financial sector in the target countries. And it doesn't happen a lot. We might see maybe one or two actual new codes a year Sometimes we don't see any, but uh, this is where iStudy comes in. So for 2017, it was one of two codes. The other one that was discovered was already an existing code base. And like you said, we discovered it around September, seen some stuff happening a little before that. And uh, the first thing we noted upon analyzing it is, was it delivery method? Hmm. The delivery method came by the Emotet Trojan which was a significant observation for us. Take us through that. Can you describe to us how Emotet works? Yeah, so Emotet actually used to be a banking trojan. It shares the exact same code base. It's called the Bugat code base that Drydix has. And Drydix is one of the most developed banking trojans nowadays. Uh, This malware somewhere 2014, 15 stopped stealing money itself and switched over to helping others do it. Hmm. So we believe there's a small group operating it and serving cyber criminals mostly in Eastern Europe. And what they do is hold a botnet through which they deliver other malware from for their customers. And their distribution is very targeted. They focus on businesses and they use Emotet with a network propagation module, an email theft module. They get a lot of information. They do data exfiltration. Um, they get to as many users as possible once they get on an enterprise endpoint. So this was the choice of ID and, and kind of starting to distribute the malware, which was telling in terms of target types. So it's going after businesses, uh, particularly in the U.S. And, and Emotet works a lot in the U.S. That's their turf. And we also learned that these are the kind of collaborators they have. So old timers from the cybercrime arena, there's no amateurs here. We know that, you know, this kind of connection already knows what's going to come next. For us, this, this kind of builds the picture for us. So Emotet um, is the delivery mechanism, and, and they div- uh, it's correct that they, uh, they, the initial infection is usually comes via spam? Yeah. 
So, you know, a lot of Trojans nowadays, if not all of them pretty much, have a multi-stage infection routine. So they're not going to come straight forward and be downloaded from somewhere. There's going to be many stages. Uh, Emotet itself is going to be, you know, delivered through spam. There's going to be probably a poisoned word document with uh, with malicious macros. There's going to be a PowerShell script that's going to run. Eventually, it's going to be a loader. Then it's going to be the Emotet Trojan. And Emotet, once it grabs hold of the endpoint it becomes like sort of a backdoor it can then usher in other malware at this uh, so it could be iced id but it also works with cacbot it also works with zeus panda and very recent campaigns so we're seeing it kind of switching up the drops of different malware and iced id itself just recently moved on to uh, to the handsitter downloader which is another group that distributes malware through their own uh, loader or malware type thing so there's a sort of a, a modularity that uh, that's going on here with some of these things where people can swap in and out different components depending on i guess what's working and and what they're trying to accomplish yeah and also banking trojans will bring in a certain module based on information they got from the endpoint you know mm. they could say okay well if this endpoint is an enterprise endpoint, then I might want to launch the email theft module because I can do X, Y, Z. We saw that a lot with a previous Trojan called Shifu that actually had modules for stealing from point of sales machine. So it will fetch that module only when it was on a point of sale machine, which was that kind of thing. Or if it you know, detected other types of valuable information it could get, it would launch different modules accordingly or not launch them. Sometimes it, they choose not to do that. So Emotet uh, serves up Iced ID on your machine. Take us through what happens next. From that time that it tries to fetch it, the, the malware comes uh, with a cryptor. So a cryptor just keeps it kind of boxed in. So it's like a gift that you don't know what's in it. Mm. Unfortunately, not a good one. <laughs> and uh, we noticed that iStudy had its own cryptor. So nothing that's being used already in the wild, not a commercial cryptor that could be bought from someone, which means it was specifically designed for iStudy, which is something that would happen for privately owned malware. So that was another telling sign of, hey, this is not just a run of the mill or a re reuse of code. Mm -hmm. And then we noticed, you know, the code grade has modularity, same capabilities we see for other banking Trojans. So it's like that Swiss knife, like we're saying with the different modules here. What we saw is that we, they could do web injections and it can uh, do redirection attacks and it can move users to a phishing page, initiate a VNC session so it could take remote control of the endpoint. And we're seeing it basically setting up shop on the endpoint. And in setting up shop, it wants to know what the user is doing, where they're browsing to, in order to define if the user is going to a bank that interests them or to another target that interests them. In order to monitor the user's browsing, the malware sets up a local proxy on the machine. It sends the traffic first to localhost, the IP is 127.0.0.1, and then to a private TCP port 49157, just... I guess randomly chose one of the private TCP ports and it tunnels all the traffic through there. Now there's different ways to do this. Um, this is one way, you know, just to kind of eavesdrop on the traffic that goes through the, uh, the endpoint through the user. Mm -hmm. And that, that way the Trojan can actually tell, okay, they're going to bank one, two, three, and I'm going to go into action now. 
And this concept is already being used by another Trojan called the Goodkit Trojan, which is another gang-owned malware. But not many Trojans use the proxy thing. This is pretty much, I guess, the two that are, I'll call them uh, mainstream, that we see now that mm. use it. Uh, but the proxy is not an end old in this case, because iStudy also needs to do stuff when it wants to manipulate what the user is seeing. So it does hook the browser, the internet browser, to control what's being displayed or if it has to do a redirection and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was interesting to me that uh, in the process of doing this, the user doesn't see anything unusual up in their browser bar. Correct. There is a special redirection that's a malware-enabled redirection that takes place here. Usually a redirection, you know, if you go to a website, you could be redirected to another website. And it happens legitimately sometimes, you know, an ad could redirect you somewhere or whatever. It's something normal, but you will see the changes. You'll see that you move to another page. You will see that the URL changed or whatever different changes took place. In this case, the victim is actually hijacked to a completely different website uh, that's hosted by the criminals on, on their infrastructure. They don't see any changes. They believe they're still on their original bank's webpage. They'll be seeing the same URL. They'll be seeing the same certificate. Everything is going to look exactly the same, except they're on a replica. And at that point, they might be asked, you know, it might look like a phishing page where they're asked to enter all kinds of different details or their payment card information. They're going to be asked for their usual login information, maybe an extra field or two. The Trojan will steal that information immediately in real time. And the criminal might decide to use it at that point or use it later, depending on how much they need the user to be engaged at that point, the victim to be engaged online. So uh, in terms of uh, communications with the command and control servers, what are you seeing there? So uh, the communication with the command and control servers, of course, something that happens, you know, for every malware, they need to communicate the information and exfiltrate data all the time. This uh, malware communicates over an encrypted SSL, basically wants to keep the data out of sight from automated scans by the uh, intrusion detection systems. It's a way for it just to be a tad more secure because ICID doesn't have a lot of anti-research or anti-security modules or features yet. It could probably build them later on like other malware does gradually over time. For now, it doesn't have anything major. So this could be one of the only little protections it has right now. And it also uses um, this type of communication to reach out to a remote injection panel and which is a way for the malware operator during the transaction or during the session, the fake session that they have, they might want to deliver specific pages to the user seamlessly. So they fetch it from uh, what's called a remote injection panel and orchestrate mm. the flow of events from there. So they're using that as well to kind of keep that communication under wraps. So just so I understand here, the possibility is that, well, if I'm the victim of this and I'm uh, logged into what I think is my bank, but I'm actually, I've actually been redirected to one of these imitation sites, uh, would, is someone monitoring that in real time and being able to uh, you know, put up um, custom things they want to get from me in real time, or is it, is it automated, or both? They could do both, yeah. 
they can do both. They can have some custom things like from the transaction panel. They can, depending on the internals of the transaction panel, they may be able to literally communicate with the victim and kind of push text into the injections that they're showing on screen. And they have some stuff that's just pre-made. You know, if they're going to ask for a payment card number with all the details, they could just throw it on the screen and, and they had it pre-made, just some HTML code or something. And it's uh, rather simple. What's your thoughts on this in terms of uh, attribution? Uh, who's behind this? Well, we believe this malware is made in Eastern Europe. We we see it also from the um, you know the different connections it has to different malware, moving to Emotet and Hansitter. Um, we see that the targets are all in the U.S., mostly U.S., a little bit in the U.K., targeting businesses. I think to me it's almost similar to through the CACBOT malware, which is a lot older, hmm. but the whole make of it and uh, the way it's um, it's being handled or, or operated so far is very CACBOT-like. In terms of protecting themselves against this, what are your recommendations for people? So people should, uh, in general, these types of malware typically will come from an email. You know, a lot of times uh, it would be something that's an attachment and the whole enable macros routine. Mm -hmm. A lot of times this specific malware is, you know, for businesses, it's going to come to a business email or to a business user on another email address, hoping that they're going to open it on their uh, corporate machine. So really being careful with emails, verifying where they're coming from, checking the sender. And, you know, if it's apparently someone they know, maybe even check with that person if they're not expecting anything like that from them, any kind of file with, with information. I mean, these people can't really guess what the person's going to be expecting. So being extra careful. There are some cases where the malware might be delivered by an exploit kit, so it's going to be a drive-by download on, on some other website. So just not browsing to kind of untrusted websites and things like that would be good. Basic hygiene, basic Internet browsing and internet use hygiene is one of the things that can really go a long way with these uh, types of Trojans. And then once the person's already, let's say they're infected, they have no idea, mm -hmm. they start a banking session. The banking session is not normal. Something about it really changed. I mean, their bank or let's say their e-commerce account never asked them to enter their payment card information on a screen where they never initiated any kind of transaction or purchase or whatever, or they already have information saved somewhere there it looks suspicious close the browser window and check with your provider that's the the best thing they can do in order to detect it themselves so is this a situation where your typical antivirus installation would not uh, detect this Banking trojans don't typically get detected by the antivirus a lot of times antiviruses will detect the loader the, you know, the first step, maybe the emotet part, maybe the hand sitter part, they will probably see it a few days too late because the malware is always doing small mutations in order to flip around the signature, the file signature. So for antivirus, it's a little harder to actually identify them. Every time I test and I, I want to see, you know, how many antiviruses will detect a certain malware, not too many of them. Typically, they'll see it as something generic. They're not really uh, aware of how to stop it completely for banking Trojans. In terms of persistence, um, so this survives uh, restarts, things like that? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, most banking Trojans, one of the first things they do during their deployment is to set up a persistence. Uh, there are common ways to do it, which is just establishing a run key and putting it in, in the registry and making sure that every reboot this malware will get you know, rerun, which is what ISTID does. It doesn't do anything very special, but it works. And uh, it's definitely one of those you know, basics for Trojans because they don't want to be eliminated if somebody reboots the computer. And for ISID specifically, it actually only completes its deployment after a reboot. So it definitely has to come back up. And it might be doing that to require a reboot just to kind of evade some of the sandboxes that don't emulate rebooting processes. So there's some interesting things with this in terms of network propagation. Can you take us through that element? Yeah, so ISID has its own network propagation module. So first, if it's dropped by Emotet that already has a network propagation, ISID has, you know, its own uh, module that it can launch. And specifically, this one queries the lightweight directory access protocol, the LDAP for users on the network. And then it will attempt to brute force weak password with the dictionary attack. And if it succeeds, it'll move to the next user and infect them as well. Um, And maybe try to copy itself to different places in the network. So in terms of uh, someone trying to defend their network, would any of this network traffic look unusual? It might. It might if they're seeing that there is brute force on accounts and they could see in their um, in their controls that something is not right because usually users are not going to make all that many uh, attempts on their passwords, so it mm. could get detected. Our thanks to Lamore Kessum from IBM's X-Force research team for joining us. You can read the full research report on the Iced ID Banking Trojan on IBM's X-Force Research website. We got an update from Lamore since we recorded this segment. The Iced ID Trojan has gone quiet. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. 
And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now.